Well, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 21. I've been going through the gospel of Luke as we've talked about uh, this series of Advent, of Christmas, and we're looking at uh, just through all the major accounts of the gospel of Luke as we discuss who Jesus is and his birth. And uh, this is a passage I've never preached from, and it's really interesting because it often will be preached on a New Year sermon because it's after the fact of when Jesus was born. But I thought it'd be interesting to look at it this morning because there's a lot in it. There's a lot to it. Uh, So look with me now, Luke 2, verse 21. This is God's holy word. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation." that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, as I just spoke these words to the children, naming is a really big deal. It's important. And as you study all the major people and players of the Bible, you will see that there is meaning behind each individual name. And I remember to this day, Stephanie and I would spend hours just debating, discussing, having a a healthy discussion, right? We were talking about what do we name our children? And we spent hours even writing out the names and, and what we thought was is so important to not only come up with a name that we agree upon and we like, but it's really important to, to understand the meaning behind their names so that when they get older, we want to be able to give them kind of a rite of passage to say, hey, Caleb, you are wholehearted. And the reason we named you this is because we want you to give God your all. Your all. Give them everything you have. You know, Katie, your purity. And the reason we named you purity is because we want you to have a pure faith. Your middle name is Faith and, and you are pure. You know, Sarah, your name is Princess and you're just a, a sweet little princess. And love, Sarah, love, just the love of the Lord we want upon you. And of course, Abby, Father's joy. Abigail Grace, Father's joy and, and the grace of the Lord that's been bestowed upon us. And so these names were really important to us as we deliberated, as we discussed, as we had a healthy discussion about what we are to name our kids. And finally, it was around the birth when we knew it clicked, this is the name we want to give our, our, our children or our child. Now, as you look at this passage in verse 21, this is right after we, we just read last night about the shepherds. And, and eight days had passed. And this is where uh, Mary and Joseph uh, officially gave Jesus the name Jesus. But it was eight days. 
This was part of the custom and the ceremony of God's people. They didn't name the child on day one at the birth, but they named the child after eight days, particularly that of the boy, because the boy would be circumcised on day eight. It was part of their ritual, part of their tradition. And the same thing is they would give names of of their firstborn son. And so Jesus is named Jesus because God named him that way through the angel. As Gabe read earlier in Matthew 1, we see that the angel came to Joseph and said, you will name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jehovah is salvation is the name of Jesus. That's his name. And so how did Jesus prove his name? What did he do? And you'll see this from verses 22 through 33 and how he proved to be our savior, our salvation. Jehovah is our salvation. So how did he prove it? Well, there's two things. He proved it by being our substitute, substitution. He also proved it by being our consolation. And those are the, the, the two words that we see here uh, in these remainder verses that, we, that I read just a minute ago. So first we see that the Lord is our salvation by being our substitute, our substitute. Now, I used to play sports growing up, and it was always helpful. I used to play basketball, and it was always helpful whenever I got exhausted and tired for the coach to bring in a sub for me. He would substitute in for me because I was getting tired. I started missing shots. Uh, I could tell my legs were heavy. And so for just a few minutes at the remainder of, of the second quarter going into halftime, they would usually take me out for a minute or two, give me a breather, and bring in a sub. Now, what would that sub do? What would that substitute provide? That substitute would provide fresh energy. They would have a a lot of stamina. They would have a lot of strength. And uh, always when the sub would come in, it would help our team because I started dragging the team down. I'd get tired, so they'd bring in a sub who would bring in fresh legs and, and excitement. In the same way as I think about Jesus, God's people for 400 years were living in silence with no news. They were exhausted. And when you study the history of the Bible, you'll see how the people of God were exhausted. They were exhausted. They were suffering. And they were waiting with anticipation for the great substitute to come to provide fresh energy and life. They were waiting for that. And now we see on Christmas that Jesus came and he provided that fresh energy and life that the people desperately needed. He was our substitute. And the way he became our substitute, we see even from day one and day eight and day 40 as a, as a baby, he, he really took our place. He stepped in as our substitute. And what you'll find here in verses 22 through 27 is a consistent repetition of according to the law. It's mentioned four different times, according to God's law, according to the law. Why is that important? Well, Jesus, as a Jew, he had to fulfill the customs and the traditions of his day as a Jewish person. In order to fully be our substitute, in order to really take our place and step in where we had fallen, Jesus had to fulfill every jot and tittle of the law. That's just what Jewish people did. And so even as a baby, he had to fulfill every law that his people had to do. So as you look at verses 21 through 24 again, you'll see here, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. 
and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. What we see here is there were three different customs and traditions that the people of God had to follow when a baby was born, specifically that of the firstborn male son. Uh, The first is, we already read it, circumcision. That happened on day eight. And on the day eight, the baby boy was given his name. It was kind of their, their tradition. I think about our traditions here today. We don't have a lot of them, but we have the baby shower before the baby's born. And then the baby's born and we give the baby the name. And then after that, it takes a few days to, to get them back home and get them in that car seat. And, and then we end up having birthdays and celebrations. Those are our traditions. Well, they had their traditions there. And then, and one was the boy would be circumcised on day A, day, day eight, and he would be named. The second tradition would be a purification ritual. And this is what we would call today maternity leave <laughs> or paternal leave. Uh, in, in, in the Jewish day, a woman would have to go 40 days of kind of being isolated and away from, from the world society. And the main reason was for her health and for the baby's health to keep them away from any kind of disease out there. So that's why God instituted this rule. But it was a 40-day of purification where a woman was considered unclean until after 40 days. And then on day 40, she would then take the son to the temple and that's where she would offer sacrifices. Right here, we, we learn that Joseph and Mary must have been pretty poor because they had to offer two turtle doves. Uh, if you were at, of, of well status, you were able to offer uh, that of, of other types of sacrifices. But because, or like a lamb or a pigeon, but because they, it says two turtle doves here, uh, we, we can conclude that Mary and Joseph were pretty poor. He was a carpenter, she was a teenager, But yet they still followed the law according to what God had given. And so after 40 days, Mary and Joseph take this baby, Jesus, to the temple after he had been named that, after he being circumcised. And then the third thing that that the law required is that they were required to present Jesus as the firstborn son and redeem him back from God. In other words, it was practice where the firstborn son was taken to the temple and it was as if they were consecrating the firstborn son to the Lord. Uh, More than a dedication, a consecration. Lord, I give you this son. And this goes all the way back to Exodus and how God delivered his people, his firstborn son. When he slaughtered the Egyptians' firstborn son, he protected and provided God's people's firstborn son. And so ever since that, then God's people continued on this tradition that they would give up their firstborn son to the Lord and they would even offer some money to redeem him back. Now, it doesn't say in our text that Joseph and Mary gave the temple money, but we can conclude that they did because that was part of of the tradition. So again, there's three different types of customs that God's people had to do according to the law. Why does all this matter? Well, even as a baby, Jesus had to follow these laws to be our full substitute. And Galatians tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might be received as adopted sons. So what this says is that being born under the law enabled Jesus to be the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What this tells me is that Jesus as a baby became fully our substitute. He took our place 
That's why he had to go through all of these rituals and all of these customs and traditions. Mary and Joseph were pietistic people. They were obedient to the Lord, and so this proves that they did that. And what I love about it is it really points to 2 Corinthians 5.21. It tells us, For our sake he made him to be sin who had no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became our full substitute. He did that. Now, as I was thinking about this idea of substitute, I couldn't help but think of Tom Brady. And a lot of you like football here. And if you remember what made Tom Brady successful was he was drafted in like the fourth round. But Drew Bledsoe was the starting quarterback years ago for the New England Patriots. He was drafted number one. Drew Bledsoe had played many years for the Patriots, had a great success story. And then all of a sudden, the the, the last two years as he was playing, he didn't do so well. They started losing and he ended up getting a major concussion and had some blood clots. And he had to sit out for several games. Well, right as Bledsoe got, got benched, they brought in this young guy, Tom Brady, who nobody really knew. And Tom Brady started throwing, and I think they lost the first game, but the second game they won, and all of a sudden they're saying, oh, this guy's pretty good. And then sure enough, the remainder of the season, Tom Brady just lit it up. He, he did phenomenal, and they won their first Super Bowl which, under him. We know the rest is history. Bledsoe tried to come back in, but they said, sorry, Bledsoe. Brady's playing <laughs> top level here, and Brady has now become arguably the best quarterback of all time. Now, I would say Peyton Manning, like many of you. But Tom Brady has won the most Super Bowls, you know. But I bring this up because Tom Brady came in as a substitute, but yet he played phenomenal, played much better than Bledsoe, and now history's been made where all of us can look back and say, look at what Brady did. In a similar way, but far greater, think about what Jesus did. He came in, he fulfilled the law perfectly. He kept the law perfectly. Let me say that again. Jesus kept the law perfectly, even from as a baby. Why do I say that? Because you and I, we don't keep the laws perfectly. We don't. We break them all the time. But yet Jesus never broke a law, ever. It's what theologians call active obedience. He actively obeyed. And because of that, he was able to fully take our place and so we could look at that with great thanksgiving. So how did Jesus, how did, how did his life prove his name? Well, it proved that, that he was our deliverer, but ultimately we see here he was our substitute. But the second thing we see here is that Jesus was our consolation. If you look at verse 25, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, when I think of consolation, I think of consoling someone, comforting someone who is struggling. You know, as I thought about Jesus being a baby, I thought about all the times I was in the hospital and all the times my wife was in the labor and delivery room and it was exhausting for her. And there was a time where I would give her my hand and she would squeeze as hard as she could. And I would look the other way and say, (laughs) but I didn't want her to see it because if I was complaining about her squeezing my hand, could you imagine what she would say to me? Oh, toughen up. You know, I'm having a baby here. But yet I remember being a little in pain. But yet it was interesting because I was trying to comfort her as she was in pain, as she was suffering. I was trying to console her and be her consolation. 
But the reality is, is it did bring her some comfort, I think. She might tell you that. But the reality is, is it was amazing because the nurses were with her for most of the time. And then about five minutes before the babies to enter this world, in walks the doctor. About five minutes. So the nurses do all the work, I realize. And then the doctor comes in. The doctor comes in and saves the day. And the baby uh, comes into this world. But when that doctor entered the room, guess what happened to my wife? She went from almost panic mode and stress mode to, ah, the doctor's here. The doctor's here. And the doctor, she had this gift to talk to my wife and just kind of calm her down. She knew exactly what to say. And then she knew exactly what to do. And this baby entered the world. Why do I bring this example up? Because Jesus is like that doctor. He has come to bring us comfort as we're hurting, as we're suffering. And I want to remind you, from day one, when Adam and Eve fell, we see a storyline of God's people who fall and who suffer and who go through hardship and heartache. And we just long to be consoled and comforted. Uh, Even in Isaiah 40, Isaiah 40, it describes how, how comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What I love about this passage is we we see it fulfilled in Luke chapter 2. Because we're talking about the consolation of Jerusalem. Jesus is that consolation. He is the one who will provide comfort. He is the one who will make the uneven ground level. He is the one who will make the, ra- the rough places a plain. He is the one that will make every mountain and hill be made low and every valley that will be lifted up. He is the one that will be all glory, that we will give all glory to. I bring this up because, again, Luke 2 fulfills yet another prophecy about Jesus from Isaiah. And what we can see here is comfort, comfort. Because Simeon, He knew about Isaiah. He knew about this prophecy. And when he heard that Jesus was coming, (laughs) believe me, he was blown away. But notice what happened to Simeon. What an interesting person, right? Simeon's an older man who is faithful in the temple. We, We just know very little about him. He was righteous and devout. But yet God told him that when he would see the consolation, then he could die. Could you imagine knowing when you would die? Could you imagine knowing that once you would see this baby, you could die shortly after? That'd be kind of terrifying in some ways. And I'm sure Simeon probably was a little nervous about it. But yet, I also assume that Simeon was excited. And every day he would go thinking, this might be my last day because I'm waiting for the consolation. But we see here that Simeon wasn't, he wasn't bombarded about knowing that he was dying or going to die. He was more excited about the comforter who was coming. He was more prepared to see this baby than he was dying. And I, and I think about grandparents and how they, they often say, you know, I think when my, my, old, or my youngest kid marries or my last kid marries and has children or, or when my, my grandkids graduate or when my grandkids get married, then I, I think that'll be a, a good life. And I can look back and say, thank you, Lord. And the rest is just 
great that you give me. But once I see my grandbabies get married off and start their careers, then that might be a good time uh, for you to take me, Lord. I hear that a lot from grandparents. Simeon had that opportunity here because the Lord said, when you see this baby, then you will depart. But the bigger meaning behind it is, is that Simeon knew who this Lord was. He knew that this Lord was the great comforter, the consolation who would come and finally bring great comfort to God's people who were suffering. And then as you go on in verse 27, it says, And he came in the spirit into the temple, Simeon, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. When Jesus came into the temple, what does Simeon do? (laughs) He grabbed this baby. He took this baby from Mary and he said, I got to hold this baby. And he took baby Jesus in his arms and he said, all right, Lord, now I know what this means. The true consolation has come. The true comforter has come to comfort your people. And boy, am I comforted right now because I know he is the king of all kings and Lord of all lords. And now I can depart in peace. Now I can die in peace. In peace. No wonder Simeon broke out in song. Because he goes on and he breaks out in song. You know, as I thought about this idea of Jesus being our consolation, I thought about a story in history that took place. It was in 2003, January 10th, a man named Terry Dyer, or Terry Dreyer. Terry Dreyer was out on his boat, out on the ocean, and all of a sudden his boat had capsized. And Terry was out there in the middle of the ocean, nowhere to be found, nowhere to be seen. He's treading water for 20 hours. And he thought, this is my time, I'm going to die. But after about the 20 hour mark, guess what happened? A helicopter flew over. And all of a sudden the helicopter radioed in a naval ship. And this naval ship was actually on its way to the Persian Gulf for war. (laughs) But this naval ship, do you know what the naval ship's name was? The USS Comforter. The USS Comforter. This naval ship on its way to battle was called off to go back and to rescue this man, Terry Dreyer, who had been treading water for 20 hours. They ended up picking him up. They had a medic on the ship who helped him. And and Terry Dreyer is still alive to this day. I bring this up because a lot of us, like God's people in this time in history when he was born, we're treading water. We're tired we're suffering, we're hurting. We may have aches and pains physically. We may have emotional wounds. We may be hurting spiritually. All of us have a story and all of us might be hurting and treading water. But here's the good news. We can look up and we know that God is hovering over us and that God calls his son to be our comforter, our comforter that we need. How is Jesus our salvation? He's our substitution He's our consolation. And I love how Simeon ended his song when he said, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He's saying here, my eyes have seen your salvation. Jehovah is salvation, Jesus. My eyes have seen salvation. Now I can depart in peace. And now I know God's people will have comfort beyond imagination. And I love how he went on to say, and this light will be spread forth throughout the nations. You know, last night we sang, come thou long expected Jesus. That great carol came from this passage. Come thou long expected Jesus, 
born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength, and here's the word, and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. That's Jesus. That's who Jesus is. That's why we're here today. Merry Christmas to all of you. And be reminded that Jesus is our salvation.